Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. Reporting from Hollywood, it's been a night of magic, David. <laughs> well, first I should say, this is episode 49. 49, yes. That's three shy of 52. That's, that's right. 52 being the number of weeks in a year. <laughs> this is a weekly podcast. You do the fucking math. We are close to a year. I know. I know. And, uh... It's very exciting. I would. I'm not gonna say. I've got comments set aside for when we get to episode 52, so I'll say them then. But you know, it's weird. At no point did I ever like when we, you know, when we talked about starting the podcast. At no point did I ever think that we would be stopping it within a year. And yet somehow I'm just like, wow, a whole year of this. Like <laughs> maybe I'm just marveling that the time seems to have gone by very fast. It does. That's what happens when you uh, grow older. I know. You know what? You're absolutely right. And in fact, I just grew older. Uh, oh, happy birthday. Thank you. That's right. It is just after midnight, yeah. uh, which means it has just uh, become February 25th, right? 2008. Yep. Uh, which makes you 26, 26 years old. That's right. So my keys jingle I- in celebration. Or as I like to think of it, you know, uh, 26 was the year that uh, Orson, that's how old Orson Welles was when Citizen Kane came out. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, well, I look uh, at here, my life I'm as gonna, a failure. Here, I'm going to open a beer for you. Oh, thank you. I don't drink, but I... Oh, you don't uh, drink? I guess I'll have to drink it. <laughs> well, I've got this cigarette here, too. Why don't you smoke that for me, if you would? Um, uh, uh, I don't smoke cigarettes. Oh, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, so yeah, it was, it was Oscar night, and uh, uh, the atmosphere here is pure electricity. Um, sorry, I can't get enough of, like... Billy pre- Bush? Billy Bush. Just pre-Oscar bullshit. Like, it's just... You know, I didn't really watch a lot of the pre-Oscar stuff. Was Billy Bush involved this year? I don't, I don't know, but I know that he was, he was instrumental in, like, the Golden Globe debacle, right? The thing... Don't know. Okay. But, Billy uh, Bush was responsible for one of my favorite and most awkward Oscar moments in history. Okay. Do you remember a few years ago when uh, uh, what it, uh, Keisha Castle Hughes from Whale Riders Whale was Rider, nominated? Yeah. And Billy Bush decided it would be cute to introduce her to Johnny Depp. Do you remember that before the show? And he was like, you have a crush on Johnny Depp. Let's go, ah, let's go talk to him. And it was just like... Both of them being like, yes, this is awkward, and Billy Bush not getting it at all. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, well, and here's the thing. I, the little red carpet interviews, if you can call them that, are ridiculous. Like, there was one today where Daniel Day-Lewis is walking along, and this woman, uh, whose name I don't remember, was just, you know, very chipper and all that. And she's like, Daniel Day-Lewis, nominated for... Uh, there will be blood and a favorite to win. And then she's like... Uh, was she this the woman in the green dress? I don't, I don't know. She had blonde hair. Oh, well, then this was not. But uh, she goes... Uh, she's like, now, Daniel, when, you know, you played Daniel Plainview, a very, uh, uh, you know, kind of an anti-hero, a very villainous character. Like, how did you go about finding the, the humanity in this character? So, okay, already, who asked... Okay. Who asks that question not in a Charlie Rose, James Lipton setting? Like, <laughs> you're surrounded by celebrities. He knows that in 15 seconds, she's going to see somebody else to talk to. How is he? And she asked a somewhat serious actorly question. 
So, you know, I guess hats off to her for not asking, hey, nice tux or something like that. Like, she asked a question, but, like, not at all the right place to ask <laughs> it. Like, sir, just what kind of answer is he expected to give? I'm sure he wasn't intending on talking about the, you know, his in-depth acting method as he's making his way to his destination. And it's just, it just seemed a ridiculous thing. Well, speaking of the uh, pre-Oscar red carpet interviews, another favorite, new favorite in the pantheon of awkward Oscar moments, pre-Oscar moments. Did you see Viggo Mortensen and his 14-year-old date? No. How did you miss that? You don't Uh, watch any of the pre-show, do you? No, Jen watches the pre-show. I was taking a nap. (laughs) You gotta get, you gotta get geared up, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I, you know... I've well, got uh, okay. I got the Oscars, and then I knew I'd be coming here. I um, wanted to be fresh. Listeners, yeah, Tyler and I did not watch the Oscars together. Sorry to shatter <laughs> your view of us that we're a team that do everything together. But <laughs> exactly, uh, you know, I tend to have friends who want to uh, get high and drink uh, when they watch the Oscars, and I have friends who tend to want to watch the Oscars <laughs> uh, um, as opposed to an excuse to get high and drink. I did not. I did not get high. I, I don't do that. But. uh he is drinking my birthday beer, though. Yes. Um, okay. Again, pre-Oscar hubbub, I was making food. I made a delicious uh, pimento cheese spread for the crackers. Yep. Uh, my friend Mary and I made some uh, twice-baked potato skins. Um, mm, that sounds good. It was delicious. So I was not really watching, but I did notice Viggo Mortensen and like a 14-year-old girl. Okay. And I missed the beginning of it, so I have no idea why she was with him. Okay. But I did see this happen. The interviewer asked Viggo Mortensen, why did you decide to bring her? Viggo Mortensen, pause, smile, because I like her. <laughs> Creepy. So, listeners, if you know why there was a 14-year-old girl there with Viggo Mortensen, please write in, because I have not been able to find any reference to it on the internet yet. I will say this. Of all the of all the nominees this year... I'm guessing one, 14. I don't know. The, the one that I would say is most likely to be to actually mean that kind of thing, I'd say him. He's he's just such an odd guy that with that you know kind of odd looking beard, and I just he seems a mystery to me. Like I could see him being into some kind of nefarious dealings in life, <laughs> um, but uh, stay stay away, Sirsha Ronan of Atonement. Um, I think that's how you say the, the name. I uh, gen- loser, by the way, loser. That's right. Everyone who's nominated doesn't win is a fucking loser. <laughs> Absolutely, in my book. especially Hal Holbrook. Um, <laughs> but uh, old loser. Absolutely, he's oh. a loser that's close to death. So Our podcast a, has turned mean. It's a double loss. Um, by the way, again, before we really get into the show proper, we're in yeah. a new setting, aren't we? We are. I feel a little off. We usually record in your living room. I've got my nice couch. I always sit exactly the same way. Uh, now I'm, I'm I'm all discombobulated because we're in the bedroom. We sure we're are. mere yards away, but it's a world of difference. It is. So uh, at the very least, David and I are closer to each other. <laughs> we're usually, you know, a solid what seven, eight, ten feet away. Yeah. Uh, now it's like three feet, and I'm not used to this at all. <laughs> um, but uh, it's a it's a lot. It's you know you might be able to tell. From our voices, you know, it's a little more intimate setting, and uh, so that's that's the reason why. And a whole new set of cats. I know. It's just one damn thing after another. Um, so anyway, I'm not going to go into the reasons why there's new cats. Right, there's it's just a big. It's a. It's just a big clusterfuck. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. Oh, my mother-in-law is going to listen to this. Is she? She called me after uh, the Oscars, uh, you know, and to discuss, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, the winners and stuff. She, you know, she has good movie taste, and so like we like to talk about the Oscars. But I was leaving to come here, and so I couldn't. I was like, well, actually, I'm about to go record a podcast about about the Oscars, and she's like, oh, well, I'll just listen to that. And so now I just said, clusterfuck. I'm sorry, Barbara. Um, anyway. But uh, it's just his podcast persona. That's true. That's true. I don't swear in real life. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, now so David, yeah. As far as you know, predicting, uh, you know, how, how how was your predicting of the Oscars? Do you um, want to talk about who won, or do you want to talk about the ceremony first? Let's talk about the ceremony first. Okay. Why don't you kick us off with whatever you have planned? Oh. <laughs> Do you not have anything planned? Not particularly. I mean, I guess I, you know, first I'll say that I think John Stewart did a really, really good job. Um, he just seemed very. I remember when he first hosted a couple years ago. Um, you know, he didn't. He didn't seem necessarily nervous, but he just seemed like uh, very aware that this is something much bigger than he had ever done. And uh, this time, he seemed a lot more. Yeah, he eased into the it. The first time he relied a little more on the. The, the pre-taped video segments that he right. had done with Stephen Colbert and, yeah. and such, which were funny, mm-hmm. but it, uh, and, you know, I don't take anything away from that, but tonight he felt more comfortable, right? you know, just, just hosting. Yeah. With a couple of, I mean, there were a couple of good video segments. The, the binocular periscope oh montage gosh. was really funny in the bad dream. <laughs> you know, um, and you know, what's weird is I found the binocular periscope thing to be interesting because part of me is like, wow. They use binoculars a lot. Like I don't use I don't think I've ever used binoculars in my life. Were you expecting, as I was, to see Josh Brolin using binoculars in No Country for Old Men? I didn't, but you know, I, I perhaps should have. Um I thought it was gonna cap off with that. Okay. Always unpredictable, John Stewart. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? Okay. I'm I'm gonna take a tangent already. Can we stop? Can we please stop, America, having animated characters uh, uh be presenters seriously enough i've had enough yeah because here's the thing first off it's never funny yeah secondly if you win and you've been and you've just been you know if you whatever you what what, i forget what it was that uh the b was uh you know presenting for oh yeah but uh whatever it was if i was that winner i'd be like hmm this kind of hurts. I'd yeah. really like to be able to shake a human's hand. Yeah, or kiss Halle Berry. Whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, how about, you know, I'd like to at least uh, be able to interact with something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, there's classic Oscar, Oscar footage of, like, Miss Piggy talking to uh, Johnny Carson. But Miss Piggy was there. Frank Oz could ad-lib and could be quite witty. And so she's going back and forth with uh, Johnny Carson yeah. And it's like, okay, there's at least at least it's a practical thing that's there. And if something happens, hey, Frank Oz can say something about it. Yeah, no spontaneity involved when, when Jerry Seinfeld exactly. puts his thumbprint on the Oscars. <laughs> Which, didn't we already suffer through enough? Even if it weren't for the, the fact that the animated presenters is a tired thing. Yeah. We, as, as Americans, <laughs> as a country... <laughs> already suffered through and came out pretty much unscathed. Yeah. The onslaught of B-movie advertising. 
and we're all the better for it. You know, you think they scars the notwithstanding. <laughs> do we have to see it again? And do you, you know? You'd think they would get the hint when B movie wasn't nominated for animated film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I know, yeah. The surfing penguin movie won. It didn't win, but it got the nomination. So couldn't know. we have a penguin? At yeah. least have a penguin or or, or Remy the Rat Remy. or the Iranian girl. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I commented, uh, or maybe it was I don't. Uh, two or three weeks ago, I commented uh, about the uh, the Christian movie website, and I comment. I accidentally said uh, referred to Remy as Ratatouille. I accidentally did that bothered me a lot i didn't even notice so exactly because a lot of people just assume that's his name and it's like that's not his name but i said it as if it was and i apologize anyway but and this uh, is coming from a big jaws fan who probably exactly. gets that a lot oh, people yeah. referring to the shark as jaws or the monster in frankenstein as frankenstein that always bothered me but that's just yeah. become commonplace now. that's uh that's an open sore for me i hate that but uh Anyway, so John Stewart, sorry, uh, but yeah, I thought he did a really good job. I thought, um, yeah, just the I, I liked the little clips they had of like just brief interviews with somebody who had won. Like it was long, like they were just long enough to like actually get you know something interesting out of who they were talking to, whether it be Sidney Poitier or Barbara Streisand or Elton John or whatever. But like you know, but it wasn't long enough that's just like okay, I get it, let's move on. Um, they're just like little little things, and it's like, and I, I liked them. I liked them quite a bit. Um, other things, um, I, I was you know something I was looking forward to before the nominations came out. I remember I was like, you know, I really hope Falling Slowly from Once gets nominated at the very least, so I can see them perform the song live. Yeah, and I and we got to see it, and it was every bit as awesome as I thought it was. going Which be. reminds me of probably my favorite part of the telecast tonight was John Stewart bringing her back absolutely. out absolutely that was one and you know what and i really get the you know it's john stewart is you know with the daily show and stuff it's so rare to see him being a hundred percent sincere yeah. so like when he's talking about like hey you know how you know he's like what isn't that a great story or something like that like i always just instinctively i'm like is he being no no he's being sincere <laughs> um and so like he was so happy for them winning that I have to believe it was his idea to bring her back. Yeah, I that never, never no doubt in my mind. And uh, and that was that was a nice moment. I mean, it was just it's like you know what I mean. It's a been a such a common thing over the years that's just like you know if the, if more than one person has won, somebody's going to get the shaft. Which reminds me, let's think back. Okay, I'm not the Oscar historian that you are. Okay. But please don't refer to me that way. I mean, I may I may have specific memories every once in a while, but I don't like study just because right. I wrote a paper about the. Okay, fair enough. I wrote a paper about the Oscars <laughs> in high school, but just because I did that doesn't necessarily make me an official historian. Okay, the original song awards are some of my favorite speeches, exception speeches. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, Three Six Mafia. Oh yeah, which was great. Yeah, when Eminem won, even though Eminem didn't, yeah. uh, didn't his crazy didn't producer accept, win, or and something? some crazy guy <laughs> wearing a blazer over a basketball jersey <laughs> came up and jumped around with with like like ratty hair. Yeah, it's, why are music people so much more fun than movie people? I think it's because they feel like okay, this is the movie crowd. These people can't make or break my career. <laughs> I'm somewhere else. I will drop in here, 
be insane because I can be because <laughs> there's no bridges to burn here. Yeah. And then I'll go back to my music world. Um, also, I think it might have to do with the fact that it's Three Six Mafia and Eminem's friend or something. But yeah, uh, let's have more awards for hip hop. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, just the uh, seeing them prefer- and I'll say this: Amy Adams performing that song from Enchanted. Yeah. Um, all the songs from Enchanted, like a couple of them I didn't care for. Her song, and not just because she sang it, I liked quite a bit. Because that the one... The third song they played from Enchanted is a weak song. Right. And I'm, this is, I'm a big fan of Enchanted. Yeah. It's a weak song in general. The second song they did, uh, How Does She Know? Mm-hmm. Which is probably my favorite number in the, in the, sh- in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the performance tonight was, was really weak. Yeah. Uh, I felt. And so, yeah, Happy Working Song was definitely the, the best of the three tonight. Which I think is, you know, it's notable that, like... It was her alone on a stage, you know? Yeah. I mean, they didn't. there was no big hoopla. It was just her singing a song that... The reason I liked it, and I've not seen the film, is that musically, it really harkens back to, like, Snow White. I mean, it really was a Disney song in the classical c- tradition. Well, this makes this, this brings up something that was a, an ongoing topic of conversation here at my Oscar party tonight. Okay. Who is America's sweetheart right now. Okay. Because we're obviously we're well past the Julia Roberts years. Oh, yes. I think we're even a couple years past Reese Witherspoon. Okay. You know, I think Reese Witherspoon was America's sweetheart a couple years ago. I think the height of that was probably Walk the Line and then... Yeah, it's certainly like Legally Blonde and then Walk the Line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, America needs a new sweetheart. America is between sweethearts right now. Okay. And so anytime there was any sort of starlet we would discuss, it was... Honestly, it was mostly me and people being not caring that much. But I was discussing who is America's sweetheart, and I think Amy Adams is a good candidate for America's next sweetheart. And you know, you you incorporated me into the conversation uh, once I arrived here, and your phrasing just now is the perfect way to phrase it. She's a good candidate for it. She's not there yet. But who is? Uh, who else do we see tonight? It's not Jessica Alba. No, not Jessica at all. Alba has pissed that away. She had a chance to be America's next America's sweetheart. America's, America's next, next top sweetheart. sweetheart. <laughs> and uh, she went and made good luck, Chuck. Ugh. So, but no, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that uh, that Amy Adams is a bad choice. I absolutely, she's my sweetheart. I mean, I <laughs> I love her. I think she's absolutely. You know, I responded saying that Catherine Heigl is almost there, but frankly. When I think of a sweetheart, I think of somebody who has, like, the most winning smile. Somebody who, when they smile, I smile. Like, Reese Witherspoon was always kind of like that. And Amy Adams is absolutely like that. She just seems so damn yeah. sweet. Catherine Heigl is maybe America's platonic buddy. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, but Amy Adams has a better shot at sweetheart. A couple of years ago, I was really pulling for Rachel, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams, yeah. And I don't know what happened. I mean, the, the Notebook, America loved The Notebook. Yeah. Uh, Red Eye sucked, but you know it was uh, I don't the think right it kind sucked. of. Mo- and she was well, all right it, in it. It did suck. No, but it was, good. it was all right. It was good. It's effective, mm-hmm. an effective little thriller. A good agreed up until the, up until the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the stuff on the plane was good. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> you just said that. I couldn't think of anything. Ah. I have been drinking since four thirty. Oh. Oh, <laughs> good lord! All right, um, okay. So, well, no, uh, yeah, Amy Adams, listeners, it's it's time to get involved. All right, let's vote. Let's vote. Amy America's Adams. next top sweetheart, <laughs> Amy Adams. Um, 
But uh, who's the, who's the dark horse? The, Who else oh, is in the running there for uh, sweetheart? Mm-hmm. Let's see here. Ellen Page. Yeah. Well, she's the indie sweetheart. Yeah, but uh, another topic of conversation that you were not privy to tonight might be a lesbian. Oh, and okay. I, I uh, that is based solely on speculation that happened within my living room tonight. Okay. But I don't think a lesbian would qualify for America's Sweetheart. Not yet. We're not. You're, re- you're the liberal, David. You know Come what? On. We might be ready for a woman president or a black president. America is not ready for a lesbian sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, this is going to be a silly podcast, in case you couldn't tell. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, we try not to crack each other up this much, but uh, David, you've cracked me up. Um, you've cracked this shell. But... Uh, all right, so let's see. Other things about the uh, about the actual broadcast. Oh, okay. I think I mentioned this a few moments ago. I okay. I'm going to now. I'm I'm in a position to reiterate what I said about a month ago. Brad Renfro in death is not is not getting any respect at all. Like first he died, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's very tragic." And then he and then he was completely forgotten. Like a week later, because Heath Ledger because died. Because Heath Ledger died. The in memoriam thing, which included the montage, usually the in memoriam is for the past year. Yeah, it ends December thirty first. They extended it to January thirty first, two thousand eight, this year. Yeah, and I imagine they did that solely so they could include Heath Ledger. Right, and yet they did not include Brad Renfro. No, who has been? You That's know, fucking insulting. It is like you know he wasn't a huge actor, but he was big enough, and he worked with enough of those people that I'm sure. Him, pa- you know, his passing was a sad thing, and so it's just like, seriously, like, just give him, you know, it would have been another eight seconds, at the most, yeah, yeah, and you're, it's like, but they're so eager to get to Heath Ledger, and it's just like, come on. So, do you think we'll have to wait until next year's telecast to see Brad Renfro, or do you I think, think we'll he, not I think see he's him forgotten. at all? I, I don't think, I don't think uh, they're gonna, they're gonna do it. So. Yeah, so I'm just really angry that that happened, you know, it's, and also, just in general, I always kind of like the in-memoriam thing, I like, you know, that it's, it's really like taking time to remember even people that may not be known, like, uh, an agent or an art director or something like that, uh-huh. but what I do not like, okay, they just need to play it and just take out all the sound except for the music, because I don't want to hear the freaking applause popularity contest, yeah. all right? Because the audience applauds when, you know, it's like, oh, they applaud when Ingmar Bergman comes up, and that's fine. But, like, you know, they can tell it's like, oh, this screenwriter must from the 60s must not be very popular. It's like, well, yeah, it's four my, years later. My when, girlfriend commented that it was like sitting through a high school graduation, where yeah, some people get more applause than others. Exactly. And Which reminds just, me, speaking of things my girlfriend said. Okay. Oh, is this the funniest thing you've heard tonight? Yes. Okay. Well, first off, I want to say, I, I think I told you, but I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, the f- the best part about seeing Cloverfield, Yeah. When it, the opening night, you know, I saw it Thursday at midnight when it opened. Mm-hmm. I might have said that on the podcast, but I can't remember. Uh, right at the beginning, the bad robot bumper comes up, okay. and you see the little robot running at the back of the screen through the field, and someone in the back of the theater goes, what is that? <laughs> like the Cloverfield trailer. Right. The best part of the movie. Okay. The funniest part of the Oscars tonight was when Joel and Ethan Cohen won for director. Okay. And they, they stood up as they were walking to the stage, and my girlfriend said, 
Isn't one of them a transvestite? Totally joking. I mean, she doesn't really get them confused with the Wachowskis. Right, right. She was joking. Yeah. And it was the funniest shit the whole night. <laughs> well done. See, and that's the thing, is only people who listen to this podcast would ever get that joke. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. I'll have to, once I leave, I'll have to pat her on the shoulder. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So, let's see, as far as the ceremony, I can't think of my Good speeches... You know, this time around, um, you know, they were okay speeches. My my thought in watching the speeches, because I thought, and this is not something I often do, but I think, hmm, if I wanted if I won an Oscar, what kind of speech would I make? Yeah, and I think thanking a lot of the speeches speeches tonight were a little too insidery. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, this is going out to people all over the world. Yeah, you know, who might not care about your agent. And all that stuff, yeah. you know. Although Tilda Swinton's thing was touching about her agent, right? Uh, but you need to make your speech relatable outside of the film world, you know. I'm not saying everybody should be Cuba Gooding Jr., although that's a fucking great. Oh yeah, that's a classic. Uh, I don't care what everybody says about Cuba Gooding Jr. Since then, he has, you know, uh, uh, frittered away a lot of his credibility. But that's one of the all-time great Oscar acceptance speeches because oh, it's yeah. just pure joy at winning an award which anyone can relate to yeah and, and the music is coming up and he's not listening to it yeah like he's gonna do what he's gonna exactly do. and uh and that's even though the speeches seemed uh they were well, well prepared tonight you know and well delivered uh i lost there wasn't a lot of that that joy I, I liked javier bardem like i always like it when somebody like when louise fletcher like signed uh, something to her parents as she was speaking, and he said something specifically in in Spanish to his mother. Who yeah, was in the that audience. was good. I like that kind of thing. Um, and I'm sorry, I always forget how to say her last name. For Lavian Rose, how do you say her name? Cotillard. Cotillard. Okay. Um, her speech was really nice as yeah, well. It, it was. was. Just, that was that was one of the highlights for me. You know, I mean, I know it sounds it sounds mean to say this, but like, you know, clearly she's not a hundred percent, you know, comfortable with her English. But she still is just so excited and so passionate about her winning, and just like so. At one at one time, she you know at one point she's like thanks to life and thanks to love, and I'm like ah, you're so French. Um, yeah. But uh, and it was it was very touching. It was honest. Unlike I hate to go back this far. Okay. But Roberto Benigni's acceptance speech. Oh, okay. Grated on my fucking nerves <laughs> more now when I think about it than then because I think I wasn't as smart then. Uh, that guy has been, at that point, that was, what, was that 99? Uh, it was in 99, 498. 498, okay. Um, he had been around the American film industry enough at that point yeah. to have picked up more English than he presented to us. Yeah. And his whole thing that he did, his jumping up and having the broken English, you know, yeah. and he's like, uh, my heart is in is in tumult, and it's like if you know the word tumult, you know more English <laughs> than you're letting on. It was just a whole put on. It was a whole character, and it seems so fake to me. Hmm. Sorry to air my grievances about a ten year old Oscar <laughs> telecast, but Marion Cotillard did a much better job than Roberto Benigni. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I mean, there was. Uh, I guess I guess now since we're actually singling people out, I think now would probably be a good time to move into you know who won as well let's know. talk with let's talk start with best actress that was okay. a surprise it was a surprise and i haven't seen the movie but you know what 
I'm all right with it. Yeah, I've I only I've heard only good things about the movie. I also haven't seen it. Yeah, it's like two and a half hours long, and you know I, I had know to <laughs> couldn't make the commitment. <laughs> yeah, um, you know it's just I kind of like the idea that like everyone's like is going to be Julie Christie or is it going to be Ellen Page? And even though I think Ellen Page was fine in Juno, um, I don't care for the film and the you know the. <laughs> The, you know, the more accolades that it gets, the more angry it makes me. So it not getting actress, even though she's fine in it, um, I'm like, all right, that's great. Um, yeah, so that's much like, how I feel about about, about Crash. Even, I haven't seen Juno, you know. Okay. But Crash was a film that I didn't hate, but I didn't love. But I right. grew to sort of hate yeah. after it got so much praise. You know, it's interesting you, you bring that up. Someday, not not today, but someday, I was really thinking about my feelings towards Juno and and you know other other people's feelings towards that and crash and little miss sunshine and i just started thinking about just i would someday on the podcast i would really like to discuss just the phenomenon of backlash of you oh, know because okay. it's just it really is crazy how a movie can just all of a sudden be embraced and then not completely abandoned but just like people turn on it with such ferocity that like vitriol vitriol thank you um and uh, and it's mostly in response to a movie doing well critically and getting awards. Like, if Juno wasn't up for all this stuff, people would probably just be like, oh, that's, you know, and let's say it even made a lot of money. It made a lot of money, but didn't get any, any awards. People would probably just be, you know, they wouldn't have a problem with it. But because, you know, Ebert, as much as yeah. I love him, because Ebert says it's the best movie of the year, I'm like, okay, yeah. hang on now. Which reminds me, I mean... Juno is a Jason Reitman film. Yeah. If Thank You for Smoking had gotten this much respect, yeah. I think there would be the same amount of backlash. Because yeah. I haven't seen Juno, but Thank You for Smoking is the same kind of thing, where it's a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. I think you like it more than I do. I do. Yes. Uh, but I feel like my grievances with it, you'd hear a lot more of that kind of thing if that film had gotten more press. Yeah, more I mean, awards. people would... I mean, that's the thing, is you and I've, you and I discussed this... Uh, you know, before I even moved out here, and we had, I had seen uh, "Thank You for Smoking," and you know, as far as like satires go, I mean, it's it's one that has a couple, you know, a couple nice moments. But like, if you look at a movie like Network or something, you look at "Thank You for Smoking," you're like, man, this is a satire with n- it. It has some teeth, but they're not very sharp. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah. Um. So anyway, but like with Best Actress, everyone's like, oh, is it going to be? Julie Christie, who you know, you say that was a, my pick. does a good enough. That was my pick as well. But you say she does a, a my pick, nice and enough I should job. say my pick, who I thought would win, yeah, right, not necessarily right. who I. If I wanted it, if I went with who I wanted to win, I'd go with uh, Laura Linney. But uh, didn't see it. Who else was nominated? Uh, Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth, which I didn't see. Julie Christie. Yeah, what's the what's one I'm missing here? Uh, Ellen Page. Yeah, I know that one. Laura Linney. Yeah. Marion. That's all of them. Kate, Julie, Ellen, Marion. Who's the fifth? Laura. Laura. Oh, okay. Okay. I just can't count is the problem. Okay. So I guess, yeah, actually both who I thought would win and of the nominees who I wanted to win was Julie Christie. Right. Even though I think over Away From Her is not a very good right. Not a very good film. And so I, I always like when the Academy goes with a third option that it's like, Okay, why not? <laughs> I mean, they didn't go with Kate Blanchett, who I'm sure is fine in Elizabeth, but apparently the movie's just awful. Um, so that was nice. You know, that was nice. It's it's nice to have surprises. Like last year yielded almost no surprises. Um, yeah. 
And this year had I a did couple. like when they showed uh, when they showed the clips. They showed uh, Kate Blanchett's clip, and she was almost kind of embarrassed by it. <laughs> did yeah. you see that? Yeah. Just I don't know, just because it was really uh, kind of uh, over the top. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, maybe within the film, maybe she is you know maybe she reached that point organically but of course they picked the biggest one completely out of context and she's like yeah that's great thanks (laughs) um uh thanks for giving people a reason not to like me in this uh but uh i loved john stewart's little bit about uh all the roles Kate Blanchett has played. Oh, she, yeah. she was the dog. <laughs> and that, yeah, that, that little graphic of the dog with that arrow and the <laughs> yeah. tape, that was funny. Um, and then, of course, uh, there was no surprise in Best Actor. It was Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, who, was, who was my pick of who I thought would win and I'd say who I wanted to win. I mean, it's just an amazing yeah, performance. Um, supporting Actor went to Javier Bardem, which, you know, it's an interesting thing. He gave a great performance, but just in watching the clips, you know, that they show, I'm like, man, that Philip Seymour Hoffman did a great job. And so did Hal Holbrook, you know? I mean, just everybody in that category. But no, I totally agree with you. Like, I hadn't really considered... I loved Philip Seymour Hoffman in Charlie Wilson's War. Yeah. But I hadn't really considered him until I saw the clip and I thought about it. Yeah. And and that's... Honestly, that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. Uh, And... You know, it's a shame when the best scene in the movie comes that early on. Yeah. Uh, as much as I love... I really did really like Charlie Wilson's War. Right. But when the best scene in the movie comes that early on, it's it's kind of a, a disappointment. Yeah. But, yeah, I I I was all I was suddenly, for like half a second there, kind of pulling for Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, you know, and I kind of felt the same way when I saw Hal Holbrook. Um, I mean, he just has... You know, they choose, you know, the most emotionally wrenching scene uh, in the film of his uh, he's not in it very long yeah but it's just like i mean you watch that and you're like oh my gosh i almost started crying from that like it really his is an amazing performance but javier well, barden let's, let's go a second into my psyche okay the oscars this is way deep in my psyche i'm opening the doors to you people oh my gosh the oscars bring tears to my eyes way more than they should Oh yeah, I forgot. Like all sort, like the montages of old acceptance speeches and stuff. Yeah. Like I fucking love them, <laughs> and I don't know why. But honestly, to be completely honest, I probably look forward to the Oscars more than I look forward to Christmas. <laughs> Even though the Oscars, the day after, you know, yeah, it's like it's like eating McDonald's. You know, yeah, you love it in the moment. You don't really care about it, you know, when you're done with it. That's how I am about the Oscars. I fucking love them. Yeah. And then I don't care about them anymore. But I get so emotional about them. Well, and also you and I, I'll go ahead and bring this up now. You and I, throughout the, you know, throughout our 49 episodes, we have commented frequently about how Oscars don't necessarily matter when it comes to determining quality of a film. Like, we've said some fairly cynical things about the Oscars. That said, I do love watching them. Oh, yeah. You know, um, because sometimes you will get an upset and sometimes you will get a really nice moment, you know, where, you know, it's not so self-congratulatory. It's not so, you know, like where it's just like, oh, clearly the politics here are in play and they give they gave this movie this award because they had to give it something. You know, every once in a while there isn't that and you really get like you know, uh, Marion Cotillard or, you know, something like this that. This is why the Oscars are more fun to me than the Super Bowl. Okay. Uh, and the Super Bowl is great, but 
the thing is, I have one or maybe two teams that I back. Yeah. And if that team's not in the Super Bowl, it's just a mediocre experience for me. Yeah. With the movies, I can just I can take their nominations and I can pick from them the films that I'm rooting for. Right. You know, and then that way I always have a horse in the race. Yeah. And and that's that's why the Oscars are a more fun experience for me. Um. But uh, let's see. Now what? Okay. So, this was an upset, and what's more, freaking Entertainment Weekly called it, and I scoffed at them for it. And then you commented that they are frequently right, and I said, yes, I guess you're, they are. Tilda Swinton, wonderful performance and a wonderful actress. Not on anybody's radar, except for Entertainment Weekly. And I, ugh. And they you know, bother me well, who so did, much. Who did you think would win? Amy Ryan. Yeah, Amy Ryan is probably who I wanted That's to win based on the films that I've seen. Yeah. Based on body of work, yeah. I wanted Tilda Swinton to win. Oh okay. I'm I'm a huge Tilda Swinton fan. Yeah. Uh, ever since the Deep End, and I, and then I've, you know, s- since that, that I saw that when it came out, and since then I've, you know, seen some of her work with uh, Derek Jarman, the uh, sort of sort of experimental. Some he made some more conventional films too. We made some experimental films, and okay. I mean, she's like an she's uh, an art house. Uh, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for, but uh, sweetheart. <laughs> she's the art house sweetheart. Yeah. Okay. Except that she's ethereal and kind of scary. She does kind of have that uh, <laughs> look to it. You know, it's weird because, you know, in the right role, she can look, she can look quite beautiful. Uh-huh. But, like, in other roles, like, her performance and She is quite amazing in Michael Clayton. I mean, it's a, it's a really solid performance. And in that, like, she looks very frail and very, like, oh, my gosh, are you all right? <laughs> um, I always try to point people, because people scoff at this film, but I always try to point people to her performance in Constantine. Okay. Because she plays the angel Gabriel in right. Constantine, which you haven't seen, right? I Even though it, you own a I copy. Own, okay, hang on. I didn't buy a copy. <laughs> I was working at a blockbuster. We were going to be literally destroying these. And, okay, the manager doesn't work there anymore, so I'm okay with saying this. Um, and so she was just like, here, just take these. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. And so I took Million Dollar Baby, and then I there's Constantine sitting there. And I'm like, well, I didn't, I don't want to see it, but David liked it, so I grabbed that too, and I still haven't watched it. It's a cool, cool movie. I'll come over and watch it with you someday. Okay. I'm dying to see it again, and she's awesome in it. Yeah, uh, and again, I mean, it's a very uh, she has the ability to be uh, very arch in mm-hmm. uh, in that movie. She is very arch, but that's a role that calls for her to be. Yeah, but a movie like The Deep End, or I'm assuming Michael Clayton against so, again, I haven't seen it, yeah. but uh, she can also be a very realistic actress. You know, and I I loved her in Chronicles of Narnia. I thought oh, she yeah. was amazing oh, yeah. in that. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, it was an it was an upset. I mean, a lot of people said, "Oh, it's a two person race between Kate Blanchett and Amy Ryan." Then it became a three person race with Ruby D. And then once again, the, the Academy's like, "Yeah, let's do this." Yeah. And uh, and so I like a good surprise, especially if I'm behind it. I mean, she I, seemed surprised. She certainly did. You know, <laughs> um, you know, like I think back to. Uh, the the Oscars for uh, 2000 when um, Marsha Gay Harden won for Pollock. Now nobody ever thought she was going to win. I'm sure she didn't either, but she did. And so not only was it a surprise, but what's more is she was great in Pollock. You know, and so it's always nice when they when the Academy surprises you by rewarding some by surprisingly rewarding something that is truly excellent. Um, not to imply that Kate Blanchard or Amy Ryan or Ruby Dee were not excellent. But just Who's like, the other one? 
uh, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, no chance. No chance, but she was great. She was the be- I'd say she was the best part of Atonement. I didn't. Um, I didn't see it, but uh, Ruby D. I don't know. We went. We talked about this last week. Right. Right. I, I don't need to talk about. Oh, Ruby and D. speaking of last week, thanks. Special thanks to Josh Fatem. Oh yeah, for being on the show. A lot of fun. Um, should we mention? Yeah, we're probably we're, we're going to have him back. Yeah, we will uh, be having him back uh, under the uh, you know in in BP supplements. We haven't put one up in a, in a while, but they will become a, become a semi regular thing where I'll, where he he will uh, stop in every once in a while and. Uh, and uh, you know, give us some entertainment news updates. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So thanks. The funny to him. part being that uh, Josh doesn't follow that at all. No, he has no idea what's going Which on I in think entertainment might be news. The best thing. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? I want to mention this. Okay, I know this is. So, in reference to the supporting actor category, this has nothing to do with the nominees. As you know, they will bring out. You know, for actor, they will bring out the supporting actress. Uh, Winner from the year before, and of course, out walks Jennifer Hudson f- to present supporting actor, and uh, she had a hard time saying her lines there. She <laughs> couldn't pronounce Javier Bardem, and uh, oh, speaking of that, again, you didn't watch the pre-show okay. thing, so you missed Regis Philbin calling Javier Bardem Xavier Bardem. Oh, Regis! <laughs> um, I love Regis Philbin, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was just hilarious. Um, but uh, and it's just one of those things. I dating back to high school when I hated musicals because it was so much about the singing that it's like, hey, you know, you can act too, right? Like there's acting in these as well, and uh, and it's like, who cares if this person can act as long as they can sing? I'm like, the acting's good too. Hang on now. Um, and uh, you know, I always it always bothered me that Jennifer Hudson won an acting award for her. Essentially singing. That's why she won. Yeah. And then, like, her going out and just mangling. She wasn't even given anything really intricate to say. She basically was just saying five amazing performances. You know, just the usual crap. But and she did she do worse than Cameron Diaz? I say no. Cameron Diaz hasn't won an Oscar, you know, <laughs> for acting. And, that, and so it's like, so I remember I was thinking at the time, I'm like, yeah, maybe if she had to sing these, everybody would be fine with it. But right now, <laughs> she looks like she's out of her element, as she should be. She is not an actress. She shouldn't have an Oscar. Ugh. And for the record, I'll, I'll, I'll crib something from, uh, from Jon Stewart from a couple years ago. Uh, competitive acting Oscars for uh, Jennifer Hudson won. Competitive acting Oscars for Peter O'Toole? Zero. <laughs> All right? Okay. Notice I said competitive acting because he did win uh, Lifetime Achievement. But uh, give it enough time, maybe she'll get one. Um, anyway, so that's all I wanted to say because it's, it's a beef that I've had since last year. Um, so let's see. What other awards? I, I mean, if you don't have anything to talk about, I want to talk briefly about the foreign language Oscar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of stuff going on. Well, I mean, that. The Counterfeiters looks great to me. It does. I really want to see it, and it looks like a great film. Uh, how does the Academy not nominate any of the brilliant foreign language films that we saw earlier in the year? Like, why yeah. do we get things that just that are just coming to American shores? Essentially, what I'm saying is... Why are the orphanage and four months, three weeks, and two days left out? Last week we talked to Josh, and I said I hadn't seen four months, three weeks, and two days. I yeah. wasn't lying; I hadn't seen it. I now have seen it, okay, uh, and it's fucking awesome. Yeah, and I've also in the past week seen the orphanage, which you love, which is astounding. Yeah, beautiful, gorgeous, haunting, terrifying, 
all those and more critic buzzwords. Yeah. Uh, uh, the the orphanage is amazing. I I, I just I, I don't really have uh, anything more to say than why. I mean, why the only thing I can these? think of off the top of my head because Diving Bell and the Butterfly also wasn't nominated. Yeah. You know, the only thing I can think, and I this to me has always been a flaw in there. You know, I mean, I don't watch as many foreign films as you do, but just in general, on principle, it's like really a country is only allowed to submit one. Yeah, and so they have to make a choice. Like I remember years ago, I did not care for uh, *Itu Mama Tambien*. Really? But yeah, I didn't. Well, I don't think we ever talked about that because that's a great movie. Yeah, it's all right. We could probably do it without the narrator. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I love the narrator. Yeah, in that it's a movie. little too uh, too much like uh, Amelie. And uh, I really don't care about the plight of a herd of pigs. How about let's focus on the characters? Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Um, sorry, uh, I don't. I, I, not, not to go on a tangent, but I wouldn't compare it to Amelie. Just the, uh, the Amelie, tone of the, the narration. Amelie's narration is very sort of knowing and winking. Yeah. The narration in Itumama Tambien serves a certain purpose. Sort of like it's a more it's an even more artful way of the, what was done in Run Lola Run. Okay. Where we would see uh a character who had nothing to do with the plot and we would get little snapshots of their life leading them up to that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh the the narration in Itumama Tambien is uh uh, a fleshing out of the world of the film and uh it's it's putting the story in a place that seems more more real uh more worldly because uh it takes place in a world where all these other things are happening you know i guess i guess when, when it comes to like actually fleshing out certain things about the characters that we otherwise otherwise wouldn't know like when i do like the moment when he's talking about how uh Whenever, you know, I don't remember the names of the characters, but whenever so-and-so would go to the bathroom at at his house, he would lift up the toilet seat with his foot, whereas when so-and-so was at this guy's house and went to the bathroom, he would always light a match. You know, like, <laughs> stuff like that where you can't really show it, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, like, like I, I liked it there, but just like, you know. But I... I like the idea that the the narration is showing you that a world exists in this in this in this film outside of the characters. I suppose I like going off on those little tangents. They don't take you away from the film, or at least they didn't take me away. It from took the film. me away from the film a little bit. Um, but here's the thing: is like you know, I, I'm I'm very much in the my you know I don't say that the movie is is a bad movie. I, you know, there are certain things I didn't care for. Um, that said, a lot of people really love the movie, but that year. It didn't get a nomination, and it's not because nobody thought to nominate. You know, it's not because no one was like, "Oh, I." Everybody wanted to nominate it, but you're only allowed to submit one film, and the country uh, submitted the crime of Oh El Crimen de Padre Amaro. Yeah, the crime of Father Amaro. Right, and they submitted that one because which was a good but far from great film. Exactly. I mean, it, if that film was made, if that if it was an American film, it would probably get good reviews, but not get any nominations. Right, and so. You know, they have to... I never liked that idea of having to choose one. Because uh, to me, it seems almost insulting. The idea, it's just like... It's like, uh, a country can't have more than one good film. I mean, seriously. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like... I don't know. It it always kind of bothered me. And apparently that's... You know, I, I don't know what happened, but I've read in... I've read in magazines that have nothing to do with movies. I've read in, like, Newsweek and Time comments about how the foreign whoever nominates foreign films they need to like change their policies 
Yeah, but that, I mean, that, what you're talking about with the more than one nominations per country wasn't the problem this year, because the two that I'm talking about, Romania and Spain, those didn't, were didn't have any any uh, horses in the race to use that metaphor again. <laughs> um, there, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, well, if that's the case, if that's not the case, then I'm out of theories because other than the fact that it's just silly, and the fact, I mean. To me, the fact that Romania's film wasn't nominated shows that the Academy does not have their finger on the pulse. Because right. if you read, uh, you know, dispatches from festivals, and if you read, you know, if you keep current, somewhat current on film criticism, uh, Romania is a big topic right now. Mm-hmm. Because in the last couple of years, they've had the death of Mr. Lazarescu. We talked about this last week. The death of Mr. Lazarescu, right. 1208 East of Bucharest, and four months, three weeks, and two days. Uh, I've not seen The Death of Mr. Lazarescu, but the other two are astounding films. And to not even recognize this uh, this movement, which I guarantee will be written about for years to come, much like the Iranian movement that was happening at the at the end of the last decade mm-hmm. and into the into this into the early parts of this decade, uh, to not recognize that that's happening right now shows that the Academy just has has blinders on to what's yeah. going on in the rest of the world. Well, you know, I mean, I had read an article that said that, like, the committee that, like, they, you know, the committee has to see all the films that are submitted, and so it often winds up being people who have that kind of time, which basically means people that are retired, so elderly people who... Which is why, uh, again, I'm going to keep <laughs> mentioning things that my girlfriend said during okay. the screening, because she's very astute all right. and fairly awesome. Uh <laughs> We should have her on the show sometime. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. That's um, a reference to something else. Sorry, everybody. Uh, inside joke. Not fun for the listeners. Um, so many of the nominated foreign films had something to do with war. Yeah. And it just seems like, is that all that the rest of the world has to offer us? Yeah. Stories about war? Because essentially, those are stories that Americans can relate to. Yeah. Uh, the You know... To a certain extent, Americans can relate to four months, three weeks, and two days, but it's very controversial, the subject. Right. But like 1208 East, 1208 East of Bucharest, which technically was a 2006 film, but yeah. didn't get nominated last year. Um, did it? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Uh, that I mean, that's about the Romanian the revolution and, and things that... Uh, there's, there's not really much of an entry point for Americans thematically into that film. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's dryly hilarious should be an entry point, but okay. anyway, that's enough of a, of a tangent, but uh, yeah, Romania, Romania should be recognized. Well, we'll see what we can do with this podcast. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see. I'm trying to think other things that I will, that I would single out. Um, Is there anything? Uh, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, original score went to atonement and I'm not a big fan of atonement. Um, the first half of it is, I think, great. Uh, well shot, well, you know, edited, um, very well acted. Um, and then it kind of loses its way after that for me, you know. Well, if you want to take the turn, the word original, literally, why is Johnny Greenwood not nominated for There Will Be Blood? Yeah. It's well, and somebody said, "Isn't there, wasn't there like a controversy? Like, they yeah, used some a lot of that of stuff, classical music or something. Yeah, they lose a lot of classical stuff, and even some of the stuff that Johnny Greenwood submitted was stuff that he had written. Okay, uh, other than for the film, but I don't know if it had been. I don't know what the what the what the rules are. Yeah, but um, but yeah, with the atonement, it has it does have a great score. It 
Because, you know, I mean, you've probably read about it, but, like, it incorporates sounds that happen in the film into the score, and you don't always realize it right away. Like, there's, a, you know, most notably, like, it incorporates, like, the sound of a typewriter into its score, but also, like, there's a scene where, um, where, uh, somebody is banging on the hood of a car with, I think like an umbrella or something. And it makes a very definite sound. And then it fades that into the score. And before you know it, you're like, Oh, and then it sounds like a, just like, um, you know, a musical instrument and you realize, Oh wait, that was the sound that I heard. Like the score really, you know, it's people don't think about music that much, but the way you're describing it, I haven't seen the film again. I haven't seen a lot of films. It turns out, Um, (laughs) but uh, it sounds like, it could be subtle and effective and also could be really gimmicky. Right. That's the thing. It could have been gimmicky and yet somehow it wasn't to me. Um, you know, I mean the power of, of, you know, they say that like really great music in movies shouldn't necessarily call attention to itself, which I would say I'm kind of on board with, but at the same time, it's okay to do that, you know, as long as it doesn't go overboard and as long as it complements the film and moves it along and that kind of thing. And I think with Atonement, it really accomplishes that. Um, with with all the great scores, that's what it'll do. Um, other thing, Okay. Anything else? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Original screenplay. Okay. Went to Juno. Diablo Cody, Juno. Um, as I was saying, you know, we could talk about Backlash because I was examining my own feelings about it because I do not care for Juno and quite possibly it might be the fact that it's getting so many accolades and so many people say it's amazing and I'd say at best it's middle of the road you know an okay film elevated by really good acting um it the one Oscar that it won is the one that I would of all of them I definitely wouldn't give it to that you know like it is pretty well directed really well acted I probably wouldn't give it a picture but like to me, the weakest part of it is its script. Um, it just feels like, you know, people have commented like, oh, well, like, look at all the phrases that these characters say. And then other people are like, well, whatever, you know, you can't, it doesn't have to be 100% realistic. And I agree with that. But at the same time, when the little phrases eventually, when they turn into, it got to the point that I felt like the characters were speaking to each other in code. <laughs> and that they so I've gotten this I've gotten this uh, vibe from specific David Mamet films and David Mamet is a writer who as you know I love there's a movie called Homicide with uh, Joe Mantegna and William H. Macy and there's a scene where they're going back and forth and they're delivering Mamet dialogue and they're doing a really good job they're doing so good that I almost felt like ah oh, if only these actors didn't have to say this you know it's like <laughs> It's like the the characters themselves are speaking in a code, and they just want to stop. They just want to talk real, you know. Um, and that's how Juno felt to me. Like people are like, "Oh, nobody talks like that." You know what? I can live with that as long as it feels real emotionally and intellectually. You know, I mean, like how many people talk like the characters in Lord of the Rings? Not very many, but it still it rang true emotionally but just like it just frustrated me so much i i can't really you know i could point to individual lines and be like look at that that's a bad line look at that that's a bad line you know and 
there's just there's this intangible reason that I don't like the script. Like it, you know, at the last minute it says I, I'm a I'm a I'm a romance, and you're like, well, wait, wait, hang on now. I didn't know that was a possibility. And then like, there's all these other things, and now I'm now I'm going to be talking about people's response to it because I read article after article talking about like. Like oh, finally, women have a, a a character they can they can look up to. I'm like seriously, <laughs> good lord. Then women have a they're in bad shape. If if Juno is like somebody who commented like you know guys, you've got your Holden Caulfield. Finally, we women have somebody we can look up to. And I'm like hold the phone. <laughs> I don't look up to Holden Caulfield, and I don't know any <laughs> yeah. man that does. But uh, you know, and so just they're talking about it her as like a feminist icon and then they talk about like some people are like oh that's it's it's a pro abort you know it's like a a pro abortion or an anti abortion movie and i'm like you know what it doesn't warrant either all right it doesn't it's like because i would say it takes you know an issue which is like teen pregnancy and that kind of thing and it puts it in the safest possible envi- environment with some with supportive parents and oh this nice couple that wants to take my child. My guess is when that ha- you know when this kind of thing does happen, it's probably not as quirky and delightful. <laughs> my guess is it's probably horrifying. And so th- I'm fine with the movie being what it is, but let's not put a, let's not say all this bullshit about how it's you know how it's like oh a, a movie that really examines this. Okay, that's ridiculous. So, I do not care for Juno, and the other day I was thinking, okay, am I just responding to all the hype? Is it really not that bad of a movie, and I just don't like it because so many people do? And maybe I am that to a certain degree, but seriously, it's not a good script. Like, And my least favorite part of Juno? The character of Juno, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's that's my beef with that. Um, Diablo oh. Cody wouldn't have... I can I say that she wouldn't have won... If she didn't have, if she herself didn't have the story, right? You know, as an ex exotic dancer and all that kind of thing. Well, that reminds me. And uh, by the way, it sounds like someone in my apartment building is playing the bagpipes, yeah, I or heard listening that. to bagpipe music, which I think means it's time for us to wrap up. Okay, all right. You uh, know what the music means? <laughs> That's Doctor Cat's yeah. reference, everybody. Uh, you didn't have to say that. Uh, well, maybe I don't know. We've got a young audience. <laughs> um, but I will uh, end the podcast mentioning another hilarious thing that my girlfriend said. Okay. Uh, which is after Diablo Cody's acceptance speech, as she, as she was finishing, my girlfriend said, "Great, now take your clothes off." <laughs> Once again, my girlfriend is fairly awesome. Yes. So, um, so thanks so, yeah. for listening to the Oscar show. Yeah. And any any uh, thoughts you have about who you wished you know had won, or you know any comments about the ceremony, you're welcome to email them in at battleshippretension at hotmail dot com. All right. Thanks for listening. Good thanks. night. Bye.